Today we discuss the truth about having company, the work, the cost, the planning, the cleaning, and the pleasure. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Amy Thielen, author of a great new book, Company, The Radical the radically casual art of cooking for others. She is a two-time James Beard award-winning writer. She's a speaker, teacher, and cookbook author and television host. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Liz. Good to be here. So I know we're here to talk about company, but uh, before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to food? Yeah, well, my background in food is that I, well, I got an English degree, <laughs> degree so in <laughs> background of food. That's pretty common. And then I started cooking right out of college, not too long afterward. And I worked at a diner on Main Street in my hometown. And that was just one of those summers. I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. You know, I don't want what to, what am I going to write? What am I going to do? And so I started there. And then I ended up going to New York City and going to cooking school. And I worked in fine dining for eight years. And then sometimes I would work in magazines in between jobs. But mostly I was like part of a, you know, real French brigade system of avant-garde kind of, you know, very hot restaurants at the time that were, had long tasting menus and chefs who trained in France and things like that. But I think all of that comes from, you know, I grew up in a food family as well. So there's just a lot of, I think it, it makes natural sense. I, my, my family was very into food. My mom, that was her thing was that she just cooked huge meals every day. And so it was just very natural that I would flow into that. So did you feel a connection being in the kitchen with the people who were eating the food? Do you mean when I was cooking professionally? When you were cooking professionally, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I think that when I first started working at Danube, which was David Boulay's Austrian place, that was my first job. And I think actually that my chef, who was an Austrian, his name was Mario Loninger. I think he sensed that I really didn't understand that. <laughs> because <laughs> once he told me, he said, all right, you and your boyfriend, you come to dinner tonight. And, you know, it was like an all expenses paid tasting menu. And it it blew me away. I mean, I'd eaten out as a child, some, but I grew up in a small town in four hours north of Minneapolis. You know, there wasn't much. Uh-huh. So he gave me a blowout dinner and introduced me to like, I think that was that was what that was, was, hey, you you don't understand this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did it change the way you felt about cooking after you tasted that and had that experience? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I loved it more, uh-huh. even more. Uh-huh. I mean, I felt like I was in food church. 
Oh, uh, yes. I can. When I, I walked in, you, you know, yeah. we're standing in clothes that are a little bit dressed up for us. And, you know, it felt formal in a way that I can feel the nervousness and the anxiety in that. I can uh-huh. see that some people who are unaccustomed to going into fine dining like that might feel nervous. Uh huh. But then I also, I felt that and then I relaxed into it and loved it, you know? Yeah. There is yeah. a, there's something about that formality that it's different and it's supposed to be that way. And you're paying for that. You're paying for that feeling. Yeah. And that's a real experience, which is quite different from everyday eating. That's wonderful that he, he noticed that and wanted to make, you understand it that's that's really really nice it is it it's really nice I got really drunk that night too (laughs) (laughs) the waiters I mean they really did overserve me let's just be honest Uh (laughs) they were kind of making fun of me they're like oh how much is she going to drink and then they bring me back to the kitchen I was like this was so great you know (laughs) it was comical so um and also yes very educational yeah. Okay. Okay. So then what, what made you begin writing? Yeah. I mean, I, I had always kind of, um, I really started cooking kind of to avoid writing. Okay. <laughs> because uh, procrastination and, you know, writing can be very uncomfortable. Uh-huh. It sits right on your brain yes. and in your body and, you know, cooking is something to do with your hands and it feels avoidant in a sense. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, so did you, did you start like pitching to magazines to get started or how did it even begin after you were right after you were cooking? Yeah. Well, actually I was cooking and then I got pregnant at 31 and I had a son at 32 and I still was even, I was, I cooked until into my six and a half month. So, and then at that point I, I didn't have a great pregnancy, so I had to stop. But, um, so I really think that that was probably, you know, the catalyst to switch careers in a sense, not that you can't do it. Um, I just didn't feel like I could do it. And so I started writing for the star tribune, which is my home Minnesota paper. And at that point we were living in Brooklyn, my husband and I, but we were kind of starting to go back to our cabin that we had here in northern Mm -hmm. minnesota which i'm in today Mm -hmm. we were starting to kind of go back in summers because of our son you know to be around his grandparents and so it was just i started writing for the star trib and i started doing features and i did features 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 and it was great and i loved it and then i started writing a column for my hometown newspaper as well for which they paid me 25 dollars a week oh my yes and it was original recipe story all that stuff but writing to my my people, that's really where I found my voice. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of talk back, you know, because you walk around, my town is like f- population 4,000. Uh-huh. And so I would walk around and this woman would look at me and I was like, hi. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're the one who writes the column. And I said, yes. She said, I just want you to know I would never make that cake. <laughs> I said, why? Don't she goes, go back or anything. I know they didn't. She's like, it's way too hard. It's way too hard. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'll do an easier one. You know, I'll do like, I'm like, what do you want? You know, she's like, give me a banana bread. I'm like, all right. You know, so it was kind of, it was very interactive. Uh-huh. Um, It was cool. I loved it. I, I think that's wonderful that 
you were you were really getting feedback all the time but it was real mm -hmm. feedback not just some random email that came back to you or something that's wonderful i love it know that's funny so how long did you do that oh i think just a year or so uh-huh you know and i was cooking i was making um I was kind of throwing like I had like an illegal supper club you uh -huh. could call it, uh -huh. in the house here where I was cooking, you know, three course meals, marking the silverware, changing it out in between each. <laughs> and I served them on this tiny little counter. Everybody sat on wooden stools around uh -huh. and I called it a cooking class. And sometimes I would have them come and help me. But mostly I just talked and cooked. Yeah. And I, I served alcohol out in the woods here. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a way for me at that time, the recession had hit and my husband's a sculptor and it makes his money on that. And of course I had been working in New York city before, but when the recession hit, you know, we were kind of like the, it was pulled out from the rug was pulled out from beneath us and uh -huh. it was kind of a scramble and I had a newborn. So, you know, I started cooking because I know how to cook. Right. No, that's, yeah, I think people often go to food. There's somebody trying, I'm sorry, there's somebody trying to get in here. There we go. We went to the other door. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I'll just cut that out. That's one of the okay. lovely things. Oh, about you can edit. <laughs> so, so um, I, I really, I really think that that's that intimacy of cooking with people there that you're talking to and then you're feeding. I love that. That's really, really nice. That's another form of feedback mm. that uh, that sometimes yeah. you don't necessarily get in a restaurant kitchen. Uh, yeah, nice. And it I is mean, it really replicated too. Oddly enough, you know, two different things. Like my, I watched my mom cook my whole life. I don't think that I was good with a knife or anything like that. So I didn't really learn those skills. Like you uh -huh. know. Maybe you don't have to teach kids like that, you know? Maybe they just learn by watching. Mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. And then also later on, I had the TV show right after I sold that first cookbook. And it was kind of a bundled thing with Random House and a TV show and all this stuff. It just happened to me, you know? It, uh -huh. I didn't go looking for it. it. It came to me. And, but we shot it in the same kitchen with that, right around that island. And so it was it was just like as if I was doing this illegal supper club, but with a camera. It was the exact same thing. Oh, wow. That's that's really wonderful that you could segue yeah. from one to the other and it had that same feel. Um, that's that's really kind of exciting. I like that. So then how did you go from there to company? I have to tell you how much I love this book. Um oh. I love the idea of the informality of it. And of course you're distinctly casual, even in the name of the book. So I, I think that that's really, really great. I know that when I was growing up, my parents had people over for dinner and it was never casual. It was always very uh, sort of, as we were talking before, it was very European. So you mm -hmm. seated the people and then, there was course after course that came and my mother would take things away. And then when I was older and sometimes joined them, then I was the help, you know, carrying things, uh, used plates and things to the kitchen. Yeah. And 
no one was allowed in the kitchen but me. You know, it was definitely family only place. And so because of that, I always thought of entertaining as this very, very formal thing. Even my mother's cocktail parties, which in the 50s and 60s were cocktail parties with people in high heels and cocktail dresses and carrying um, on (laughs) and all that sort of thing. It was still very, very formal. And I would be like a little server going through with past hors d'oeuvres and things like that in the party. Now, I loved it. I had a great time, but it's it's different. Yeah. From, I think the way people entertain now, which is much more, much more like family. And it's like this extended yeah. family that you have of friends and acquaintances that you want to share your home with. Seems to me it's really, really different. And uh, I think you're you're hitting on exactly what, yes, it is a family dinner. You know, all of my parties are like family dinners. I mean, not all, all of them. I can go either way, but definitely everything in this book is more in that style. And I I have gotten really casual. You know, I live way out in the woods, four Mm -hmm. hours from Minneapolis, two from Fargo. You know, we're at the end of the road for the post office. They had to petition. We had to petition them. They didn't want us. Oh, wow. Because they would have to add a, a per, you know, add a route, yeah, like add yeah. us to a long right. schedule, right? Just to give you a sense of kind of where it's at, and so there's not neighbors like that are right here. Anybody mm-hmm. within ten miles, I would consider a neighbor, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who are friends, you know, mm-hmm. and but around here it is. It's a very casual place, you know, and even when I was growing up in the town, twenty five miles south it sometimes people will be more comfortable if they were like having a party in their garage. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And my mom was probably alone and doing the more, you know, a little bit elevated parties sometimes. Although she also threw parties, block parties in the garage. And that was where people felt like they didn't have to take their shoes off. You know, it was very comfortable. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's a common thing around here though. Even in like, more like winterish months people will hold parties in their garages <laughs> for real um <laughs> interesting i don't i like a cozy i like to have nice music on and you know mm-hmm. yeah you know or, come and have a glass a of wine and, in a more real glass with a stem yeah. you know yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's yeah. the thing here so i res- i respond to that as well yeah so do people often have to spend the night at your place because they live so far away that they can't Actually, leave? nobody's asked me that question in that, yes. <laughs> A lot of times these are sleepovers. I don't say that in the book. It does happen though. Uh, because yes, it does happen. Yeah. And that for that reason, we have, you know, I've got like a little, there's a hut in the garden that I write in, which is uh-huh. also a guest house. Uh-huh. My uh-huh. husband has an art studio and in the back of it, there's a guest room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so a little bit more like private guest rooms kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I felt like at the end of these parties, just from your description, <sighs> that it would be necessary to sleep there. <laughs> <laughs> Did it sound wild? No, it didn't sound wild. It just sounded so like home and you would yeah. just go to bed you know and uh and it's i happened. i also i love all the things about it it's like so practical you talk about 
the cost of feeding extra people and yeah it's a thrifty way to do it and people don't talk about that in books they act like that doesn't exist you know right talk about your battery de cuisine where it's battered and used and maybe not pristine looking and things like that i i think all of that is really really important and i also love the way you, for example, have a picture of all the empty, dirty dishes, you know, and, yeah, uh, yeah, things like that, because that is really part of it. And if you yeah. like to entertain, you have to love that part of it too. You can't act you like do. that's not part of it. And you talk about that quiet time at the end where you're washing dishes and putting things away and cleaning the counter and doing the things that put everything back in order but that is also part of the pleasure you know it goes it has its own arc where you plan it mm-hmm. and know who you're going to invite and what you're going to fix and then all the way to having it be literally over because the kitchen is in order again and i i really appreciate that about the book i just wasn't reading it saying the arc of this book is so perfect and it really communicates what it's like to entertain. I, I love yeah. it. I mean, I'm really glad you that you're singling that out and that you you feel that. Because even when you describe it, I'm kind of getting a little emotional. Like, <laughs> I mean, I I just see it. My, I saw my mother do that. And I saw that, you know, the way the kitchen, you know, it, you break it down, you, you do your stuff, you make all this kind of elaborate food. And then you put it all back together and there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a continuation in that and there's a future in that, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I like about it, I think, and that don't worry about the mess you're going to make or what's going to happen here because you're going to clean it up and you're going to start all over tomorrow. Yes. You know, like I just personally, I need that. I need to be told that it's all going to start over tomorrow, you know, like my son. Yeah. When, when he was little and he would get into, you know, we'd have a bad day and I would just say, let's just erase this day. It's just like a, you know, a tape, like a VHS or something. Uh-huh. We start uh-huh. over. We're going to start over. Right. And I feel like that clean slate feeling is really essential for cooking. And also, yes, cleaning is a huge part of cooking. Mm-hmm. And if you don't enjoy wiping down a little bit, um, it's going to get hard. Yeah. And so I think that you can see it kind of as a, a beauty. And I, I felt that also in professional kitchens mm-hmm. where we took a lot of pride in the cleanliness mm-hmm. and in wiping things and in keeping towels folded and mm-hmm. in that that order, you know, that brings some order to the chaos right. that cooking mm-hmm. can be. Yeah. So I, fi- I find those things to be touchstones that keep me going. Um I love that. I like, I like that you responded to it. Oh, definitely. I just thought this is this is just the way it is. I mean, you really, really describe it. So one of the things that I also responded to was your description of the zucchini carpaccio. Mm-hmm. What I loved about that is what you said. You can't use out of season grocery store zucchini to do this i really i you know i i 
half Sicilian. I grew up eating zucchini that my grandparents used to have a garden in the back of their house here in New Orleans. And yeah. so I grew up eating zucchini and stuffed zucchini blossoms and fried zucchini blossoms and all sorts of things that nobody I knew was eating except other children of Sicilian people. And the zucchini tasted so different than these kind of industrial yep. zucchini that you can just buy at the grocery store. And just to have you talk about that, because it's really, really true. You can't walk around telling people, you don't know what a zucchini really tastes like, because it sounds like you're this it's totally different. Industrial. It's like almost a different variety. It's a different vegetable almost in a sense. Yeah. And it's the only zucchini I grow. The one I grow is called Castata. Mm -hmm. Castata Romanesco. I, I could get you one. <laughs> I can show it to you. It's a podcast. So you won't see it. But um, they grow, they're the, if you go to the farmer's market, you'll see them with the, you know, for other people, the the ribs, they're very heavily, highly ribbed. Mm -hmm. And so that when you cut them, there's almost kind of a star shape going on, uh -huh. but they're so firm and nutty. It's like a, oh my gosh, I just, I've been eating that zucchini carpaccio salad for years and I had it like this week and last week and I just. A lot of these recipes, like a lot of these recipes, there's, these are things I make continually. Um, yeah. I make them over and over and I've made them for many years. Well, I just, I, I loved what you said about the zucchini because it just yeah. so much what I love. I also loved, and I made your uh, marinated chickpea salad with lemon and Swiss chard. Oh, how was that? Loved it. Oh, it was so, so good. I love the way you season everything is very richly seasoned and yeah. one, one of my i don't know if it's a pet peeve it doesn't quite rise to that level it's okay one, one of the things that i don't really like about some places where you eat and the presentation becomes more important than the taste of the food and um mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel that yeah. the food is allowed to be bland because something might be discolored if you add a little paprika or if you do this or that too. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think you're really, I think that visually, especially with the Instagram era, people are, are very concerned about what it looks like. So they probably would do that. And but I like it you're to Sicilian, be so you, right, right. you know, like that's the thing, if that's the traditionally, um, thing about sicilian food or, or italian food is that they don't really care so much what it looks like you know what is the saying uh the cookies that are like ugly but good um yeah, yeah. but but i don't know how to say it <laughs> oh, i've only read it um yes yes anyway i think that that is also i would subscribe to that way of thinking that i want it to taste how it should taste and i want like the chickpeas for example yes they're like sweet and sour there's lemon, there's a little bit of honey, there's spice, you know, uh -huh. there's paprika, there's a lot of oil. I use a lot of olive oil. Do and I love that because all mm. this low fat stuff is just so crazy because oh, yeah. the flavor is in the fat and it just brings out and melds all the flavors yeah. together. Yeah. Well, you know, I worked in professional kitchens for a long time and I can tell you like I would see chef's recipes go to like different magazines and I know how we cooked we cooked with a lot of fat not too much fat though there right. is a there's a line yeah sure um there's enough 
there's enough, you know, and you either you know it or you don't. I feel like I know that from my mom and from that. Um, and those magazines, I mean, they would switch the recipe. They would lie to people, you know, like they're not representing like the way it really is. And my recipes do. I'm like, ooh, did I just write half a cup of olive oil? Oops, you know, like uh-huh. it's real. Yeah, you- right. That's what you need sometimes. Yep. Yes. And sometimes. I- Right, right. Not every time. You just use the mm-hmm. amount that you need. That's right. But I love that you added the char charge to the to the chickpeas. I thought there yeah. was just this each little chickpea was coated and I, I just really like it. It's that. rustic. It's a rustic dish with the carrots that are cooked just kind of not too hard, not too soft. You know, you keep them a little bit firm. So there's there's a good texture. It's not all yeah. texture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like that when I, you know, I took, I took a long time to write this book uh-huh. and I don't know for many, many reasons, but it spanned over the pandemic. But each time it's like, every time I would go into it, I just find myself digging deeper into the recipes and talking more about what makes it a success or not, or this little aspect or that, you know, so that, it's a little, it's a little nutty. I think sometimes this book about how deep it goes into the method and how, how deep a dive it is into the recipes in a sense. But I, I think I it's know. necessary. Like you talk mm-hmm. about making sure that you cut off the top of the garlic so that the pods, you know, the actual garlic cloves are exposed and things like that so that you can I use that a lot yeah. squish them around and squish them out i i think that people might not know to do that if you didn't tell them and so that's i think that's an important right. part of the technique well i mean that's kind of what it is it's like it's like um describing like my methods just kept getting longer and longer <laughs> because i am and just i'm describing as if it was visual but uh-huh. it's not uh-huh. So I'm like, but then you have to, this is what it feels like when you're doing this. Uh-huh. Um, yes, the garlic, uh, little tiny time-saving tricks are all about that, where, uh-huh. you know, I've peeled carrots at content, you know, so many times. I've just done all this stuff so much. Right. Um, I'm just like, do it like this, do it really fast, scoop it up, do that, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a got a bossy grandma sort of vibe this book but I was just letting it go I'm like all right here she comes <laughs> well, it, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely wonderful I even like that you talk about the using of the freezer and what you know should go in the freezer and how yeah. the freezer can get out of hand <laughs> oh do you have a lot in your deep freezer Liz <laughs> do you I do. I say, oh, I should keep this. I might use it. And I wrap it up and put it in the freezer. And then two years later, I'm going, what is this? Even though it's marked on there, it's like, why did I save this? I definitely do that. I'm uh, really bad about it. And I do try when I like, if I do a like once a week um, soup or something that's a a stir fry or whatever, that's trying to use up all the little bits of the freezer. I mean, in the refrigerator, I do try to open up the freezer too and say, now what can I incorporate that I thought I would say for a rainy day or whatever? Yeah. So I do try to deal with it, but 
sometimes I find stuff in the corner and I just think, oh my God, how did I skip just, you know, keep that in there forever? <laughs> yeah. You really have to, I have two top loading, top opening deep freezers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I need to clean these out because I need to get to the bottom of right. one of these freezers right. by the end of the summer right. so that I can defrost it because it's getting all furry on the inside. Right. it's all ice. Uh-huh. And it's going to be fall and I want to want to, I will want to put a pig in there. I know it. And okay. so I got to see it. And I'm like, this coffee cake, does anybody want this coffee cake? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. 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 Oh yeah. I, I, freezer is the, 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 the lost home, you know, it's just really, uh, it's really bad, but still the impulse not to throw things away is a good one. And to yes. be able to use it, so you kind of got to balance that with the idea of it. Also, can be a ridiculous place where you're almost a hoarder instead of. I feel like a hoarder. Yeah, it's going to. I am a hoarder food. of stuff and food. There's no question. I mean, I write about my pantry. I'm like, when I feel like the bank account is low, I just go out and I'm buying. Like, I'm buying. You know, I'm buying rice. I'm buying beans. It's like sandbagging, right? Uh-huh. So I absolutely feel that way. Um, I don't know. And my grandmother was really thrifty. My mom, a little bit less so. Um, she was happy she didn't have to be, I think, you know? So yeah. she yeah. still is thrifty at her inner soul. She's thrifty. Mm-hmm. Um, I just come from thrifty people, you know? You just don't throw that away and that's an ethic and that's not something that you can get rid of. It just feels wrong. Right. It's right. It's right. It's like when I buy carrots and they've got tops on them, I can't not use them. I I just am appalled that people want the carrot tops because they want to feel like these are fresh carrots and then they chop off the tops and throw them away. And it's just like, no, that's me. I throw away the tops. You do. Oh no. Well, don't you think that the, the carrot tops do probably keep it fresher? So the carrot tops, I think, because or they're just a symbol of fresh i don't I know i think they might keep it alive a, i don't think they keep the carrots fresher i think they're a symbol of fresh yeah if you keep the carrots too long it draws the moisture out of the carrot and keeps the the uh, oh maybe the, you're right it keeps the leaves fresh and so then you've got sort of almost dehydrated carrots they start to the, so you have to cut the top off Otherwise, you're going to have your carrots get old faster. Oh, my God. You're teaching me something that makes perfect sense, actually. And so then what I'll do is like I'll take all the leaves and I'll wash them really well and then make them into a pesto or something like that. And then yeah, I had a salad once. Yeah, I should do more. I should do more with mine. (laughs) I grow carrots, you know, in my garden. Oh, yeah. So you've got access all the time to. Uh, yeah, talk. I was just out there thinning yesterday. So I grow a lot of carrots and then I just scrub them and put them out on sheet trays with towels. And then once they're dry overnight, uh huh, I can put them in bags and they stay for like a year. Oh, that's great. That's really yeah. great. Uh, so but I have to have all these refrigerators. I've got four refrigerators. <laughs> <laughs> so. In, in this climate here, the damp and heat of 
New Orleans. I can remember my grandmother who was growing Roman tomatoes and she you know, had the habit from her life in Sicily of drying. She would take them and try and dry them in New Orleans. And it was really hard because it was so damp that mildew yeah. would just take over. There was no dry heat the way there was in Sicily. It was damp heat. And so yeah. it was really hard to dry them. Yep. So I can I see that. when she finally got a dehydrator, which she thought was ridiculous because you should be able to do this outside, you know, and uh, why should you have a gadget to do it? But she realized that she needed it because it was just not possible to, to do it in, in New Orleans. I mean, there might be a day in the summer when you could do it, when it happened yep. to be fairly dry, but you might not have tomatoes on that day. So you couldn't necessarily yeah. do it. So, um, but that was, uh, I'm, I think you're lucky to be able to put those out, um, the carrots out uh, and, yeah. and have them be okay the next day. That's great. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So we have been talking for a good half hour and I want yeah. to thank you so much. This has been so pleasant. I feel like we've just been old friends talking entertaining. <laughs> I do too. I love, I love what you took, what you've taken away from the book and the things that stuck with you the most. I mean, those are the things that are probably my favorite parts as well as the author. <laughs> Those are the things that are very meaningful to me. Well, the recipes that you picked through. out and um, yeah. the kind of home style, but elevated, but very. Uh, mm -hmm. But delicious. Precise and highly flavored. Uh -huh. um, those are the things that I like the best, too. So, yeah. Well, those ideas to me just shone through the book. And I, I loved that about it. So thank you for writing it because somebody needed to do it. It was great. It was oh. really great. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye, Liz. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, a part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Subscribe to this and other food and drink-related podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to keep up with me, Liz Williams, you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter, also called Tip of the Tongue, for more information about this podcast, recipes, and just what is going on. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.